All right, guys. Hey, as everyone makes their way back to their seat, let me invite you to turn open again to Genesis chapter 28. I would encourage you to open your Bibles and to stay there. Um, so we're going we're gonna to be spending a majority of our time uh, this morning as we close out uh, Genesis chapter 28 and begin our transition into um, chapter 29. Um, if you are um, visiting with us this morning, hey, welcome. My name is Kirk, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm glad that you are here. Um, it's spring break, and so a lot of people are not. If you're here, you're not at the beach, right? Um, so, uh, so maybe you're transitioning back into a week of classes. If you're, uh, if you're a college student, um, you're almost there, right? Um, persevere, uh, continue to run the race. It will be over. It will be over shortly. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're missing everybody who's away on spring break this morning, but again, glad you guys are here. If you're here for the first time, uh, then we've got something for you, okay? Um, we are a big fan of books and resources here. And so there are a couple of books that we would um, like to pass your way. If you're a first-time guest, if this is the first time you've been with us, make sure that you swing by and connect with Kayla Schreiner, who is in the back. She's holding books right now. You can catch up with her after service, um, and she will, uh, she'll pass that your way. It's just a way that we can say thank you for being here with us this morning. Also, um, Kayla drew our attention to our um, card. Hopefully you got one of these as you came in. Um, On the bottom is a place, again, where you can just provide some basic contact information to us so that we can reach out and say say what's up and just express our gratitude for you being here. Um, You'll also find on the back a list of upcoming events um, that are going on here at Christ the King, so make sure that you hold on to that. On the front. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of of our new cards that we've kind of been rotating um, in over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, you can find um, a little a little Q and A portion uh, that is on the third highlighted mark down. What does that mean? Um, Again, we recite the Apostles' Creed every week. If you've been here with us, you're familiar um, with some of the language that is communicated by way of the Creed, which we love. I'm actually going to reference that later on. Uh, But if you're not familiar, then there might be some questions that you have. And so one of the questions that we are seeking to answer for you this month is what does it mean when we recite Holy Catholic Church as a part of the Apostles' Creed reading each week? Are we Catholic? The short answer is no. The long answer can be found on your card. So hold on to that. Check that out. Read through that. If you have any questions, again, I would love to uh, just connect with you and to uh, to speak more uh, about that. So transition now. We're in Genesis chapter 28. This is part two. Um, and so what I want to do in the beginning is provide a bit of uh, a bit of uh, reflection as to where we were last week. If you're transitioning in, don't worry, you are not alone. We've been in the book of Genesis for the better part of the last eight months now. Um, and it looks like we've got a ways to go since we're just over halfway. So uh, hang out with us. We love to go through books of the Bible and we typically take a long time to do it. So um, yeah, let's, uh, let's look at where we were last week. Last week from Genesis 27 and 28, we observed a right response to sin and our place of refuge in Christ. Right, this realization that we um, are sinners, that we are familiar with sin, right? Whether that be its effects or our participation in it. We look in the mirror and we, 
wake up and we're sore and we're hurting and we feel things like guilt and shame and therefore we say sin is a reality in the world, uh, right? Everybody that's sitting in here with sore knees this morning after a long week of work says amen to that. Uh, but we are also brought into this greater awareness through the scriptures of our sin nature, not just sin's effects, but the facts that we are sinners against and toward a holy God. Good news, as we observed last week, there is refuge for sinners in Christ as we look to and profess faith in Him. Now you can find um, all of this uh, as you look back towards last week's sermon online, which I would encourage you to check out. That was our review of last week as we continue to just explore the dynamics of this uh, patriarchal family here in these middle chapters of Genesis. As we come into part two of Genesis 28, we see a scene shift. Of sorts, right? If we're watching a, a movie, we're somewhat familiar with this, right? We, we go from one scene and the screen goes black and then we transition into another scene. We are shifting scenes as we come into part two of Genesis chapter 28. Um, as Jacob ventures out of Beersheba towards Haran. Of course, we remember that all of this comes in response to the instruction of his mother and father, Rebekah and Isaac. Or you've got to get out of here because things are uh, somewhat chaotic within our family at this particular time and in this particular season, which we will again reference in just a few minutes if you're unfamiliar with the story up until this point. On the way, what we find as we read through Genesis chapter 28 and the first verse of chapter 29 is that Jacob um, has this really interesting, really intense dream. That we want to spend some time discussing this morning. One that speaks towards God's presence with his people. And so as you even consider what we've read up until this point in this dream and this vision of this ladder that reaches from earth up to heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending and the Lord is there and Jacob's asleep on a, on a rock. What is all of this ultimately about? Well, one thing that we're going to find is that it, it speaks towards God's presence with his people. Right, it speaks towards God's presence with his people and humanity's inconsistent response to such a wonderful realization. So look with me at Genesis chapter 28 beginning in verse 10. Well, I like to give you a big idea each week that we trace through our text. And so I will do that again this week. I would encourage you um, to write this down. This is our big idea. This is what we're going to try to understand to a, to a greater and deeper degree over the course of our next few moments together. God's presence is to serve as a source of unparalleled comfort for you and I. Pretty simple, right? God's presence is to serve as a source of unparalleled comfort for you and I. That's part one. God's, God's presence, we're saying something about, about God's presence with his people and how it shapes our response. It serves as a source of unparalleled. That means it's, 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 uh, it's, it's unhindered, it's unrivaled, right? Unparalleled comfort for you and I. One that leads an otherwise separated people to worship him. That's the second part. Right, so the first part is this, this idea, this realization that we will see from the second half of Genesis chapter 28, that God's presence serves as a source of unparalleled comfort. One that, as we will see from the text, leads an otherwise separated people 
to worship Him, to worship God. Right, so we're talking about the, 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 the comfort of the presence of the Lord and this realization of His presence with His people that produces comfort that leads us to worship Him. Right? So we've got this cause and effect type that is working itself out here. There's this tension through the text that we're going to lean into. So let's go to the text. Let's go to the passage. Let me explain what we see in verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, we find Jacob alone. He is away at this point from every comfort of home, traveling to an unfamiliar place, undoubtedly replaying his father's blessing in his mind, one that you can find in chapter 27 and 28. Without a doubt, Jacob, at this point, as he finds himself alone on this journey, is interested as to what this blessing will look like for him on into the future. I remember what Dad said, but I remember the blessing that he spoke over me. It was, it was incredible, and it was beautiful. We spent almost two weeks talking about it. Because we saw the initial blessing and then we saw the, the reaffirmed blessing in light of Jacob's, uh, in light of, of Jacob's deception in part one and then Isaac's realization of what God is doing in part two. A heartfelt, beautiful blessing that we see from a father to his son. But we're reminded in all of this that, that Jacob is fleeing. Right? He's, he's on the run. He's, he's, he's fleeing the land that he had been promised, unsure as to when or how he will return home. Why? Well, because his brother's desire is to take his life from him as payment for the blessing that he believes to have been stolen. Things between Esau and Jacob are not well. There's this incredible tension, a tension that we are probably unfamiliar with, right? Unless you have, have literally been so angry at someone that you began plotting their death. <laughs> in, which, in which case I would say, hey, let's grab coffee next week and talk a little bit about, about some of these issues that need to be resolved in your life. For your good and the good of this individual, right? Jacob has no, has no wife. He has no children despite this promise of a community of people found in verse 3. He is likely spiritually and emotionally exhausted. After all, given the chaos observed in these previous scenes, we would likely connect and say, yeah, I know how, how this personal and, and, and interrelational conflict creates exhaustion in my own life. We're familiar with this, right? Have you ever had relationships on the rocks? Or ever experienced this, this tension, right? This, this, this hatred even within interpersonal relations? Yeah, of course, man. It is exhausting. Like, it is exhausting to, to despise someone. Like, it wears you out. It wears you thin. There is, there is no doubt that Jacob is feeling the effects of this previous scene as he now wanders through, uh, as he wanders through the land on his way to meet up with his, with his uncle. Spiritually tired, he's emotionally exhausted. And we know, based on what we read in the text, that he is physically drained in light of what we see in verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. What does it say? 
says that Jacob came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I would imagine that you would have to be quite tired to take a a stone and roll it under your head as a pillow. Yet to our surprise, perhaps, the rock is sufficient as Jacob falls asleep, even beginning to dream in verse 12. But this is not just any dream. It's a, it's a dream that, that is intended to shape for Jacob his understanding of who God is as he witnesses this exchange taking place between heaven and earth. Now that is that is really important. So I want you to remember that. Okay, I want you to I want you to hold on to that because we're going to address this a number of other times as we work through our passage. Ja- Jacob is experiencing this dream that serves to shape his understanding of who God is. There is purpose. We cannot exhaust this point. We talk about it on a regular basis. That God is purposeful. That He is a purposeful God. That there is intention. And here there is this, this unique intention for Jacob from God in His revealing Himself to a greater degree to him. It's a beautiful and, and vivid picture that we see. And the Spirit... Man, the Spirit does a masterful job as he inspires Moses' writing here. We can almost close our eyes and, and see it. In fact, as I prepare to read verse 12, maybe you want to do that. Maybe you just want to just want to sit here and still yourself for a moment. I know that our weeks are crazy and they are chaotic and it is good for us to come under the authority of God's word. And so as you as you sit, man, just just close your eyes if you need to. Just listen to this to this beautiful, this beautiful dream. that we see Jacob experiencing here recorded for us in verse 12. Moses writes, and and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and, and the top of it reached all the way to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Jacob is he's looking upon something that is. All but incomprehensible. It's so it's so beautiful and it's so it's so vivid. And even if you're sitting here and you go, that sounds incredible. I don't know what it means, but it sounds incredible, right? We would we would all make that assertion. We would all concede that point that this is a a beautiful a beautiful picture, one that is difficult for for any of us, regardless of of age or or background, to begin wrapping our minds around. But oh, but the Lord is gracious. To explain to us what Jacob is, is seeing here. I was trying to think of a, of a way that we could, we could best understand what this would be like for Jacob as he, as he sleeps on this stone, now witnessing this, this beautifully vivid dream, this picture. I think it's, I think it's something like, like this. 
Right, have, you, have, you ever, have you ever heard about something that is, that is really big? Right? Or, or really beautiful? Or, or really awesome? Right? You hear about it. And then you see it. There's this look right, that, that accompanies this type of... Of experience, right? That helps to, to unpack for us all of the splendor and all of the beauty and all of the majesty that the Lord is, is in this moment displaying for Jacob. That he's, that he's calling us into as we read this morning from Genesis chapter 28. There's a look that accompanies this. And I think it looks something, I think it looks something like, like this. Can we put up this, this picture of, of Judah? Okay, here it is. <laughs> this is not just some random child. Okay? <laughs> like this, is, this is our son Judah. This is, this is Cordy and I's son, son Judah. And this is a picture that we took a couple of weeks ago at the aquarium. It might have been the aquarium before. Holy cow. It's a lot of fish, right? It's a lot of water. <laughs> right? In case you're unfamiliar with the concept of an, of an aquarium, right? <laughs> But I've never been to the aquarium before. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of fish. So we took Jude to the uh, aquarium a couple of weeks ago. And my mom was in town visiting from, uh, from Tennessee. And so um, we took the, the day to, to go to Atlanta and to, um, to, to take Jude to the, to the aquarium. And I think, um, I think that this, this picture is, uh, you've been, right? So I'm not telling you anything you, you don't know. Um, I think this is the, the picture, or this is the, the, the place where you're, uh, you're, there's this huge wall, like, in front of you. It's just glass from, like, floor to ceiling, which really freaks me out. I don't know how that works, really. Uh, but behind it, it's just, like, it's just this, I mean, it's all fish, like, swimming and the whale sharks and, like, all of the other fish, right? Um, that's the one everybody knows. The whale shark, you know, the whale shark, right? Um, and, and Judah, obviously, um, e- even having been to the aquarium before, even though it was some time ago, is, it's just, he's gazing up. You may not be able to tell from where you are what's, what's going on, but his, he's looking up, and it's just this big, massive, like, wall of, of glass, and he's looking at the fish, and his, his mouth is, it's like propped open a little bit. It's just like he's, I mean, he's so small, right? He's so, so little, and he's, he's just looking up, and it's, it's like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, this is incredible. Like, I know fish. I have books with fish. This right here on the board, I don't know if you can see that little drawing, but that's a shark. Um, that's what he said. So, so he's a, familiar with even the concept of, of a shark, right? But here, to, to see him looking up, right, and, and to see this, this, this thing, this massive tank filled with these, these massive fish, right, to be able to, to take this picture and to look back at it and to see, right, that there is this, this moment in which these, these two ideas that exist in reality, separate from one another, come together, right? I know what fish are, and I know what an aquarium is, and I'm familiar with water, but now, like, I am somewhat like entering into their space and and they are to some extent entering into my space and this is really really weird here in verse 12 
of Genesis chapter 28, we see God bringing Jacob along. He's bringing Jacob along to, to understand in his exhaustion both who he is as well as his connection to the world. Right? There's this there's this bridge, right? Or, or, or as in the context of the, the text, a, a ladder, right? Again, I want you to remember this. I want you to hold on to this because we're going to continue to trace this, this theme. It, it begins with a ladder that serves to span the gap between heaven and earth. Now, remember what we saw all the way back in the beginning. Do you remember this? Let me take you back to Genesis chapters 1 two, and three. This is so critically important because as we have mentioned a number of times through our study in the book of Genesis, if we misunderstand or misrepresent what's going on in the book of Genesis as we see biblical theology being laid out and we trace this promise of God through this first book that we have been given, then we are in danger of misunderstanding and misrepresenting everything else. This is a really important story. And so let's go back to the beginning and let's remember what we saw there. In the beginning, we see, we see God, right, creating this place, this, this beautiful place, this, this perfect place that is, that is created, right, to, um, to foster human flourishing, Right? That is our good being realized as we, as we live right, with one another in perfect intimacy and in perfect fellowship and perfect community. There is no shame. There is no sin. There is no distress. Right? There's this beautiful relationship between God and His creation. We just want to hang out there, don't we? <laughs> right? like we just want to, we want to hang out there. But of course, there's Genesis chapter 3, in which we observe again humanity's rebellion, belief in this lie, right? That God is somehow, in some way, withholding from us, right? That which is, that which is good, right? That which we need more than anything else. And as a result, you and I, right, become recipients of, of sin. Right? It's a part of our nature. We are, we are born into it. It is not only the, the good things that we don't do or, the, or the, the evil things that we do, but it's a part of, of who we are. We are born sinful. We are born needy. We are born broken, dead, rebellious. Paul assists us in understanding this at multiple points in his New Testament writings. Here we see Jacob, right, venturing, moving from Beersheba towards Haran. Right, he's alone, he's in this, this desolate place. It's a long journey. Right, and in this environment in which, in which physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion seems to be wearing the crown. This deep sleep comes upon Jacob. Right, and, the, and the Lord leverages this scene to teach him more about who he is and what he is doing. 
He, he draws Jacob's attention toward himself through the very nature of the dream, this gap, right, that, that seems to be insurmountable. We see here the Lord, the Lord bridging it. Right? We, see him, we see him connecting it, and it, it leads us to this greater understanding, this greater realization, one that, that we have this unique look at, given that we have the completion of the Old and the New Testament, God's Word in its entirety. But he's bringing Jacob along. Right? He's, teaching, he's teaching Jacob about who he is even here. This ladder, and upon the ladder there are angels. That's pretty incredible. And what are they doing? Well, it says they're just like... Right? They're ascending. That's the ascent, right? And then that's the descent. Okay, you guys got that? Right there, ascending and they are and they are they're descending. They're going up and they're going down. This is amazing, isn't it? Only it's not the most amazing part of the passage. These elements only only serve to narrow Jacob's focus upon the Lord himself, as we will observe in verse 13, as the Lord stands above it all. He he, he rules and exercises dominion and power and authority over everything. What we see in verses 13 and 14 speaks towards God's revealing of himself. We see God revealing himself to Jacob here. To the first recipients of this letter. And and finally, to you and I. This past Monday, uh, Albert Moeller, who some of you perhaps are familiar with. If you're not, that's okay. He's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He released a new book um, entitled The Apostles' Creed, Discovering Christianity in an Age of Counterfeits. One that I would strongly encourage you to consider purchasing and working through given our weekly participation in the public reading of this creed. I promise that it will um, serve to sweeten this time together each week. In his book, however, Dr. Moeller writes the following. So hang with me here for note takers. Just lean in and listen for a moment, okay? I want us to to consider what what Dr. Moeller has to say about God's revelation of himself as as he makes himself known. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're saying here, that God is making himself known in this unique way to Jacob by way of this vision, by way of this dream. You and I want to lean into this. We want to learn some things about the way that God reveals himself, the way that he makes himself known. Dr. Moeller writes this, without God's revelation of himself, which is what's going on here, God is revealing himself, he is showing himself, he is displaying himself. Without God's revelation of himself, we would be utterly lost. He writes, we are are not sufficiently intelligent. (laughs) We are not sufficiently clever or perceptive enough to come to a true knowledge of the true God on our own. Anybody need a slice of humble pie this morning, right? There it is. In fact... In fact, Dr. Moeller writes, God's revelation of himself is is so gracious 
Take note, right? God's revelation of himself here through Jacob's vision and to you and I through his word is an act of of grace. He says, Dr. Moeller writes that God's revelation of himself is, is so gracious, as theologian Carl F. Henry so beautifully explained, God loves us so much that he forfeits his own personal privacy. That his his creatures, that his creation might might know him. Listen to this. He writes, "If, If God had not denied himself his personal privacy, making himself known, showing and displaying himself in this most incredible and unique way, if he had not revealed himself to us, then we would be lost and locked in the same patterns of speculation, confusion, and futility that affects those who have not believed the Holy Scriptures. Essentially, Dr. Moeller writes this, that without God showing Himself, we cannot see Him. That's what we're saying. Okay, without God showing himself, without God displaying himself, we could not see him. We cannot, we cannot know him, we cannot look to him in faith or worship him or, or follow him. Right? Our, our seeing God in this life and the next requires that our eyes to be open to his self-revelation in his word. Here we see this, this beautiful picture in which God reveals himself in this incredible way to Jacob. Everything, right, from the, from the ladders to the angels, it serves as this, as this funnel that just leads us to the Lord. As he, as he shows himself in this incredible way to Jacob. Right, in the same way that we observe this from Genesis chapter 28, did you know right, that in God's word we see his revelation to his people? Right, that, we, that we see and, and understand and, and know and can know who God is based on his self-revelation of himself in his word? Right, we are not a people that are of the opinion that you cannot know who God is. We are a people of the opinion that we cannot know who God is without God's gracious intervention in our otherwise sinful and separated state. Right? That it, it requires God's gracious and miraculous work in us to bring us into this comprehension of who He is. Look with me at verse 13. We haven't even got to the vision yet. Right, we've, just, we've just set the stage. So let's now go back. Verse 13. And behold, behold the Lord stood above it and said. Right, so he, he reveals himself. He shows himself. And then what does he do? He speaks. Holy cow. It just gets more and more incredible. And he said, I am the Lord. Right, the God of, of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. We're covering all corners here. And in you, the Lord says, and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. This is a massive picture that the Lord paints. What do we know about Jacob? I mean, he is alone. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have prospects. 
And yet the Lord paints this this beautiful picture of the work that he is to accomplish through Jacob. We we observe here in verses 13 and, and 14 these unconditional promises. They were made first to his his grandfather all those years earlier are now made to Jacob as well. So that Jacob could understand, so that Jacob would understand his place in this story. In verse 13, the Lord reveals himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac. And the story is expanding, however, because what do we know as we continue on through these first books of the Bible? We see God continuing to to make known himself for his people. We see another instance in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, in which this same God reveals himself to Moses, interestingly enough, the author of this book, as the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Only there's this element that's added in Exodus chapter 3. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Lord reveals himself to Jacob and he brings Jacob into this understanding of how he would be used. How he might be used within this much bigger story. Which is this realization that you and I are in constant need of coming back to, aren't we? We are in need of of constantly coming back to this idea that the story is bigger than we are. The story is is bigger than us. God is accomplishing something that is is beautiful and, and miraculous and purposeful that glorifies himself in this incredible way. Through redemptive history. And you and I, now we are we are simply elements, we are tools, right, that he uses for his good pleasure to see his purposes brought about. Here God is affirming his covenant promises before explaining the significance of Jacob's vision and the ladder that he sees. Listen to what the Lord says, verse 15. This is beautiful. (laughs) Okay? Man, if you have fallen asleep, wake up now. Alright? Listen to what he says. It's the Lord still talking here. He says, Behold, I'm with you. Right? And will and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done. What I have promised to you. How do we how do we narrow this down? Or how do we how do we narrow it down so that we best understand what the Lord is saying to Jacob by way of this promise? Well, let's take a stab, right? God's promise to Jacob is ultimately his presence. Did you catch it? Right, what does he what does he say? He says, Jacob, wherever you go, what? I'll be with you. I'll I'll be with you. As you you sojourn, as you travel, as you pilgrim, I will be with you. We need to store this away. Not only in order that we might best understand the events and circumstances as they continue on into chapter 29, 30. But so that we would understand how the Lord works now. How the Lord Lord resides with his people, even even now. 
As you, as you find yourself, Jacob, to be the victim of deception at the hands of your uncle Laban, I will be with you. Right? Over the course of, of a thousand miles of journeying and 14 years of service, as we'll see in coming weeks from Genesis chapter 29, the promise of God remains. And what is it? Man, it is his presence. Right? I will be with you. Right? And, and I, the Lord says, man, hear this. Right? I will keep you. I will be with you and I will keep you. Verse 15. It's at this point that we are in need of being reminded how we got here. How do we get to where we are here in Genesis chapter 28? Jacob is asleep on this rock. Ultimately, Because he willingly gave himself over to his mother's plan to deceive Isaac. Capturing the blessing that already belonged to him. We know that because it was a part of the Lord's plan and purpose for himself. And as a result, his brother wanted to kill him. Jacob has has shown a a predisposition. Jacob has, has shown... Right? There is past evidence that supports current and, and future realizations towards sin, right? towards selfishness, towards self-centeredness. One could argue that while Jacob certainly desires the things of God, his desire for God himself was not without reservation. Did you catch that? One could argue that that while Jacob certainly desires the things of God, his desire for God himself was not without reservation. This reminder serves to draw out for us something amazing concerning the character of God. And it is his amazing grace here for Jacob. God's amazing grace. As he offers here this, this promise. Right, this promise to this, this, this rebellious son right, who, is, who is on the run, seeking refuge from his uncle Laban that his life might not be taken from him. The Lord offers this, this promise here without condition. At this point in the story, let's be clear. At this point in the story, Jacob is lacking the virtue that we will see brought about later in his life. Right? Jacob, is, Jacob is still like, like way off point. Right? We, don't, we don't look at this passage and go, man, Jacob, man, he, this is a guy, right, that is, his actions are worthy of our emulation. Right? This is a guy who we, uh, we look at and we go, man, just as Jacob, so go I. That's not what we ought to that we ought to do in light of what we see as this story as this story continues. All of this serves to, to lead us into a marveling at the kindness of God. Like, like Judah, right? With his, with his mouth propped open. Just, oh my gosh. A point that is not lost on Jacob. How do we know that? Well, because as he as he stirs from his sleep, likely with an incredibly sore neck, given his his night on the rock. He says in verse 16, listen to this. Did you guys catch this when we read this through the first time? Listen to what he says. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. 
and I did not know it. What is, what is Jacob saying? Well, he's saying this, man, surely the Lord is here. Right? The Lord is here and I never could have conceived it. Right? I, I never would have believed it. Why? Well, because Jacob's problem is, is our problem. A forgetfulness. Right? A, a forgetfulness of God's faithfulness amidst our faithlessness. As a Christian, have you, have you ever thought to yourself, dude, I have, I have messed up big this time. Have you ever thought that before? All right, I, I've, I've questioned and I've, and I've doubted and I've sinned and there is no way that God will hang around this time. And if you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian, have you, ever, have you ever thought to yourself, man, I love this God that you guys are talking about and, and singing to here. Or, but you have no idea what I've done. Or you have no idea what my, what my story is, right? There is no way that this God would, would rescue me. There is no way that this God would, would live in me. If this is where you are, then verse 16 is a glorious surprise. It's a glorious surprise that, that God is here. Right? That God is here for the, for the fleeing and for the unfaithful. God is, is present and He is faithful. Man, what, what a truth that we are in need of being reminded of. Man, what a, what, a, what a beautiful reality. Man, it's incredibly good news. We continue on in verse 17. It says, and he was afraid. Well, wait a second. That appears to be a change of direction, doesn't it? No, this is healthy. This is beautiful. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is, there's, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven, right? In this place of, of desolation, Jacob exa- exclaims of its awesomeness. Why? All because of the presence of God. Right? That is the, the house of God and the gate of heaven. That is humanity's access by way of the ladder. Jacob's response follows a familiar pattern. And the pattern of worship. Look with me at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was was Luz at first. So the name of the city is not even recognized as Luz. This used to be Luz, but now it's Bethel. Right, this, this, this place, this house of the Lord. Jacob is amazed and he displays in verse 17 a proper fear. In verse 18, a, a proper worship. Again, elements that are in this case actually worthy of our emulation. Acts that reflect genuine transformation of heart. A healthy fear of the Lord. Right, and a desire to, to worship Him and to, and to enjoy Him. These reflect genuine transformation. The same, however, cannot be said of Jacob's vow. 
one that one that leverages language that does not reflect faith. Right? As, as beautiful as everything we see the Lord say, oh gosh, how Jacob leaves much to be desired in light of his response. Let's read Jacob's vow beginning in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, everything's been going so well. <laughs> you just want to say like, just, just stop. Let's just stop here, right? But we can't and we don't. And so we need verse 20 as well. Jacob says, if God will be with me right, and, will, and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then, right, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's begin, let's begin landing this thing together, okay? Lean in over these last few minutes. This is important. Jacob is a major work in progress. Do you know what that means? It means Jacob's got a long way to go. And Jacob's got a, a long way to go. And his vow, man, it is vintage Jacob. Right? It's, it's, it's conniving. It's manipulative, right? Whereas God's promise to Jacob is without condition, Jacob's is totally conditional, full of of ifs and thens. God, if, if you do this, then I will do this. That's the pattern that emerges through his vow, isn't it? If you do this, God, well, then I will, then I will do this. Oh, but... How you and I are able to connect with this very point. We read it from Jacob and we go, dude, this is silly. This is the wrong direction. You are going the wrong way. Right? However, we are, if we're honest with ourselves, guilty of, of some of the same things. Perhaps we are, we are more subtle with our ifs and thens. Certainly they're not immortalized in the same way that that Jacob's are here, but we still have them, right? Are we familiar with this? Let's be honest for for just a moment. God, if you will do this, then I will do this. But if God, you will do this, then, well, then I will or we will do this. As though God's gracious engagement with an otherwise wayward and storm-tossed people is not in and of itself worthy of our commitment. It's not enough that you've committed yourself. It's not, it's not enough that you have pursued. It's not enough that you have purchased. But if you do this, then, well, then I will, then I will do this. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if, if Jacob is guilty, then you and I are nothing, if not more so, given that we have the full canon. Right, the fullest understanding, more, more clearly than Jacob ever could of this ladder. I want us to take a moment. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. We're going we're to turn the page for a minute. I want you to go to John chapter 1. This is the, the fourth book of the New Testament, if you are unfamiliar. Go, go past halfway in your Bible. Keep going. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then finally you will find John. While you're turning there, let me give you some context. All of this relates back to this ladder imagery. What are we to to know? What are we to learn? Jesus has entered into his creation as we come into into John chapter 1. In the first 34 verses, we see John 
writing of, speaking towards Jesus' pre-existence. Right? The fact that He has existed on into eternity past and on into eternity future, as well as His role in creation. It's really beautiful. We see here John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus, as well as Jesus' calling of His first disciples, among whom is a man named Nathaniel. You guys still with me? Right? Whose, whose first interaction with Jesus is recorded in John chapter 1, verses 47 through 51, which we are going to read now. Listen to what we see recorded here for us. Jesus, verse 47, John chapter 1, saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said to him, Behold, an, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen up. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's he's identifying himself in this this most unique way in John chapter 1. But in order to best understand what we read in John chapter 1, we need to to see and read from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, in which we see recorded... The following. Beginning in verse 13. Daniel writes. I saw in the night visions. And behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Familiar language, yes? And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so what do we see? Let me connect a few dots for just a moment as we begin to close out our time. Through the vision of Genesis chapter 28, God shapes the way that Jacob and those who would read after him understood God's relationship with his creation. Daniel, Daniel speaks of a son of man who possesses dominion and glory, who possesses a kingdom that will not pass away and will not be destroyed. In John chapter 1, Jesus identifies himself as this son of man, prophesied of in Daniel, who would connect heaven and earth, serving as as humanity's source of entrance into the kingdom. As at various points in the gospel accounts, we witness interaction between Jesus and the heavenly realms, the descent of God into his creation as the Son makes possible this divine exchange that takes place. At the cross, Jesus takes our guilt 
Right at the cross, Jesus takes our sin and our shame so that as we look to this Son of Man in faith, we would become beneficiaries of what we refer to theologically as imputed righteousness. Now, what does that mean? You go, I don't know about that. What is imputed righteousness all about? It simply means this, right? that, that, we, are, um, that we are injected right with with the righteousness of Christ that is able to because of what he has done and because of who he is bring us into fellowship with God by way of our adoption right we are adopted through the sacrifice of Christ and and faith in him his righteous work into the family of God we are made righteous not because there is anything righteous in of of ourselves apart from his gracious and miraculous work right we are we are dead Right? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. There is, there is nothing that is good in us. Sins, man, traumatic and thorough effect. And yet, we see the power of the cross of Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus capable of clothing us, covering us in His righteousness. God makes us, God makes us righteous. Right, by injecting us with his righteousness. Thus, as we said just a moment ago, man, we are, we are more accountable. Why? Well, because we know the full story. And we know the full, the full story. And as we do, as we are brought into this realization, we do, and in similar fashion as we observe from Jacob in chapter 22, desire to offer our whole hearts to God. We see this this offering, this sacrifice that is is made in verse 22 of of Genesis chapter 28. This is the end. We're getting to the end. I've said that three times, but for real, we're getting there. We're brought into this realization of who God is. We're, We're brought into this understanding of who God is by way of His Word. The Son of Man, right? Acting as as this as this um, as this bridge, right? This this ladder between realms, right? This this fallen earthly world, right? And the and the and the uh, eternal place of the divine, right? God, right? And all that is good and all that is is perfect. We see Jesus, right? Our great mediator, right? Spanning the gap. We're brought to this, to this realization. We see the great cost at which we are brought into fellowship. And as a result, because we have the entire canon, right, we desire as God's people to give our whole selves to the Lord. Right? We desire to give everything that we are to Him. Why? Well, because we see the great cost right, of our redemption. We see the great cost of our rescue, right? Where we understand and we realize what we have been rescued from, eternal wrath and punishment, judgment, that's what we deserve. And yet there is this, this ladder which God condescends, right, comes down to his people that we might now right, like rise up, right, with him. That's a beautiful picture. God's gracious is work, right, that, that leads us to, 
to exclaim, all that we are belongs to you. All that we have belongs to you. Why? Because, because you've rescued, you've ransomed, you've redeemed. You are good. You are the son of man. Your kingdom knows no end. You exercise eternal dominion. Right? You accept us in Christ. You keep us in Christ. You hold us in Christ. This is indeed a most beautiful picture. And so as we close our time, we come to the table, we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves the following question. Is this your understanding of the work of the Son of Man? Is this your understanding of the work of the Son of Man? Do you see His work to bring these contrasting environments As we are restored to his company. Company with our God who who doesn't leave or forsake his people. He never leaves or forsakes us but displays unwavering commitment to our good and his glory. The goal is to see life this way. From from salvation through the entire process of sanctification. Christ has given his life and through his work, that is God's grace, we are redeemed. Redeemed. He is, he is faithful. He is faithful, and thus we worship. He is faithful, and thus we worship. Let's pray together. We're thankful.